It's okay for you to be cracked. It's okay for you to be flawed. It's okay for you to be hurt. And not only is it okay, it's helpful. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Mike Flynn. And if you're just joining us, I interview entrepreneurs and leaders who are using their platform to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And each guest is part of a series such as Leadership, The Champion's Mindset, or in this case, Happiness. Far too often, we allow happiness to take on a form of a mythical creature that constantly eludes our grasp. Here one minute and gone the next. And many in society have taught us to believe that we cannot choose to be happy because happiness is something that can only be earned. In other words, we often think of happiness in this way. I will be happy when I accomplish X, Y, or Z. I will be happy when I lose 15 pounds. I will be happy when my business is successful. But in reality, happiness is within our grasp in the here and now. And every day, we have the power and free will to choose to be happy no matter our life circumstance. In fact, Viktor Frankl says, no matter our life circumstance, the last human freedom no one can take from us is the ability to choose our attitude. That comes from his book, Man's Search for Meaning, which he wrote after being freed from a Nazi concentration camp where his wife, unborn child, mother, and father were killed. So yes, no matter our life circumstance, we have the free will to choose to be happy. Now my hope is that the guests coming up, the guests you will hear from these next few weeks, will breathe life into your ability to choose to be happy today, tomorrow, and every day. Doing so will give you and I an advantage in business, relationships, and life in general. I need to hear this just as much as the next person. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Laughter is one of the keys to prolonged happiness, and we don't do it enough. Well, get ready to laugh and learn, because today I introduce you to J.P. Sears. Actually, if you're an entrepreneur who uses social media with any regularity, you've probably seen at least one of his hilarious videos, such as how to take photos on Instagram or how to become gluten intolerant. If you haven't seen those videos, just Google them and you'll know what I'm talking about, because they have been viewed over a hundred million times. That's right, 100 million times plus his videos have been viewed. I wanted to interview JP because I was curious about what made him tick, why he does what he does, and what impact he hopes to achieve in the lives of others. And I also wanted to find out if there was a serious side to JP. And despite the fact that JP is very funny, he is also very serious about helping people unlock their potential. And as we discuss on the show, there is a lot of truth hidden within his videos about how ridiculous society has become, and it's one of the reasons we find his videos so amusing. We talk about what launched him on his path, how his vision has evolved, and why it's important to pay attention to how we feel when we watch inspirational movies. There's so much more. In fact, the conversation was so awesome, we ran out of time and had to schedule a second conversation, which will air one week from today. So bust out your pens and paper, and in between bursts of laughter, be sure to take some notes. Now brace 
for impact. Well, hey, JP Sears, I am pumped to have you on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I interview entrepreneurs and thought leaders like yourself who are using their platform to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And so welcome to the show. Mike, thank you for being weird enough to have me on the show, brother. So happy to be here. You know, I embrace the uh, the strangeness, the weirdness, you know. I'm one of six kids, so we there were a lot of weird things that happened as I was growing up. So I'm comfortable with the weird. I'd imagine. And for a for a kid, I mean, you actually look like an adult right now. You've you've got a beard, <laughs> so you look very mature uh, for just being a kid. And uh, I'd imagine there was like extra hormones in your yeah, milk growing pretty much, up. Pretty much, yeah. It's you know, we we drank that raw raw milk, you know, so there's extra goodness in there. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Raw milk with the, the Sylvester Stallone special injected. That, that's right. The juice, the juice. <laughs> hey, well, I always kick things off with the same question. Uh, and it, it has to do with superpowers, but mm. there's a, there's a little bit of a twist uh, that I've, I've been doing recently on my interviews. And it's so it, the question is if you JP Sears could pick any skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? Wow, it would be this, the power to make the unseen seen. Wow. And, and I think that's a little bit of what I do with my work. I mean, video work, the book work, and in other ways I express my work. I do my best to make the unconscious conscious. Essentially, sh- reveal, shine the light on what's there, shine the light on the shadows to reveal uh, what we don't know about ourselves and what's going on in our lives that uh, I think has a huge, huge impact on us. And we don't know it. Uh, it's kind of like I do believe what we don't know about ourselves tends to control us more than what we do know about ourselves. So my superpower would be uh, magically helping people see what they currently don't know how to see so that they can have uh, a little bit more of a a balance point in their lives rather than being controlled by the unseen forces in their psyche. You've been doing this for a long time, both as a, as a, you know, practitioner or coach, and then also through these videos. So what are you doing to continue to develop that skill? Let, uh, letting myself change for sure. I think evolution is so important for me. In fact, I was just having a conversation with a friend Last night, she's starting her own YouTube channel, and she asked me, do you still enjoy making videos as much as you do uh, did when you began? And I, and I loved her question because it got me in touch with something I didn't know. And what I didn't know, which is my answer, is I love it more now because I've allowed myself to change. Uh, you know, if I pigeonholed myself and stayed really, really dogmatically attached to how I did things in the beginning, I would just be bored. It'd be Groundhog's Day, Groundhog Day, singular, <laughs> not confuse anybody. So oh, my, I don't understand my life anymore. It's Groundhog's Day, JP. <laughs> I, I would just be bored to death with that. So yeah, that that to me is incredibly important to let myself change, always embracing new challenges. Ideally, one some of them need to scare me, 
Otherwise, I'm just doing the same thing over and over again, which means I'm not growing. I'm not expanding my creativity. I'm not expanding my ability to connect with people. It's like going to the gym to not get fitter. I'm going to the gym to stay exactly the same way that I am right now. It's like, well, that's not very inspiring. (laughs) What is the process? You know, I love that, by the way. I mean, both of those analogies of like, you know, I, I, I do workout, I do CrossFit and it would be like, like expecting to go to, the, I, I feel to, like you're bragging now that you do CrossFit, you brought I, that in. In fact, Sorry, I, in fact, I am, I'm going to give myself a little, you know, pat on the back <laughs> there. But, um, when, you know, when you walk, I mean, it, it, you can't expect anything to improve if you just go in there and you stand idly by whether it's a relationship or if you're at the gym or, you know, you're making dinner, things might change, but if you stand there and don't do anything while you're cooking rice, it's not going to turn out the way you want it to. (laughs) (laughs) Because that is a very profound example that I just gave right there. The cooking rice example, I think that's really every, the Buddha, everything the Buddha talked about was metaphorically pointing back to (laughs) cooking rice. So what, you know, change is something important. What process does JP Sears follow to to look at change and how he can stay engaged in the process and now we're talking about you in the third person so yeah and he appreciates that uh he feels a little bit more honored when he's talked about in the third person (laughs) (laughs) oh you're ridiculous my friend i love it You know, I'll sound a little abstract, airy-fairy, maybe a little ultra-spiritual here for a second, but what I kind of my process of how I allow change and how I find the change that needs to be changed is I do my best to follow my feelings, kind of like the the dumbed down Forrest Gump language that I think it's intellectually dumb, but it's incredibly wise following my feelings. So feeling into what excites me, what video topic or way of acting in a video like excites me and also paying attention to when it it just, uh, it feels a little bit heavy. So one of, one of the, the changes I've made recently, I've been doing a lot of uh, performing, like get hired to go speak and perform at different events and conferences and when I've, when I've done comedy for the past year, uh, I've always been, quote unquote, in character. So wearing the headband and flower in my hair that I do on my videos. And that, that doesn't excite me anymore. It really doesn't. So I, I think the last performance I did with headband in, on in character was in January. And I like I knew in the middle of the performance, I need to make a change. Yeah. I, I didn't know what it was, but I just had the awareness during the middle of performance and it went well. It, it was very enjoyable, but like, I just felt like, oh, oh, this Forrest Gump type feeling. So then for my next performance, I, it came to me like, I'm not going to wear my headband. I'm going to go out on stages, normal me, so that I can essentially be bigger than just my character. So that I, the, the only type of comedy and delivery that I'm going to make uh, isn't going to be just what's true to my character because I am, my character I think is a part of me, but I am bigger than my character. So like my, my feelings guided me 
to that. And, and I think inconveniently, at least my feelings, they don't speak English. They don't. They don't say, JP, uh, don't wear the headband for your next performances. Like, let that be just a they speak thing Russian. you've evolved from. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it might as well be a different language. It's the language of feeling. It, it's, it's not incredibly clear because I think it's a, it's a very wise language. Carl Jung has said that our feelings are the language of our soul. And if we pretend that's half true and pretend that we even have half a clue of what a soul is, then we can maybe even just pretend that our soul is a wiser uh, source than our intellectual brain. So I think our f- following our feelings can at times be confusing because when we try to comprehend our feelings with our brain, it's like a, a five-year-old trying to comprehend Chinese algebra in a university class. It's just like, well, uh, I can't comprehend this. It doesn't make sense. Probably because there's so much wisdom there that it's a little bit be- beyond what we're trying to comprehend it with. Yeah, totally. I, I totally uh, agree with that. And and I, I believe that we were created by God for greatness and to do great things, and that our potential is greater than we can possibly ask for or imagine. And the challenge that we face as humans today is that we're surrounded by others who provide feedback to us based on their orientation of experience. Mm. And so that influences us individually, especially if they're an important person in our sphere of influence. And that may end up inhibiting you or me from realizing our true potential and fulfilling what we are created to be. Man, I amen to that. I hope everybody heard your wisdom there. To me, that goes right into the heart and soul of why so many of us can get addicted to the comfort of playing it small. Because, you know, we're all very needy, like welcome to humankind, you're needy. And some of our basic uh, needs are we need attention, especially, you know, the younger we are, the more of it we need from other people. And how, in my experience, how all of us learn to get paid attention to as children is uh, getting approval. When I get your approval, I feel paid attention to, I feel better about myself, I feel worthy, like I matter and I belong here in this family or tribe, whatever. And and just like you alluded to, like we get that approval when we do things to please other people. And I think typically what pleases other people the most is when we act like them. Mm-hmm. Not when we step into our unique greatness, our authenticity, like Nobody knows how to validate that. I mean, some do who are really tuned in and they're doing it themselves. But still, like, if they're being authentic, then we're authentic. They're just approving us because we're acting like them. Authenticity. Right. So I, I think one of the challenges, you know, our greatness, I think really we are the only ones who can give ourselves the validation that we need to be encouraged to keep going with our greatness. Otherwise, if we rely on the outside world, will only be greeted with a currency of approval when we essentially act like other people, which means we are stepping out of our greatness, maybe towards their greatness, but that is surely not our own. So it's, in my opinion, like betraying this beautiful, miraculous source that we came from. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, there's this common saying that we, we've both heard and everybody's heard it that 
imitation is the highest form of flattery. Yeah. And that might be true, but it's it's the the worst thing that one can possibly do for themselves. And Eleanor Roosevelt said, basically, be the best version of your yourself because everybody else is already taken. It's a constant struggle, especially I find in the entrepreneurial world. Everybody's trying to be the next Gary V. And soon somebody will try to be the next JP Sears that, you know, they, they, they'll, you know, as soon as you drop the headband, somebody else is going to pick it up unless you sent it back to your ex-girlfriend. And in, in which case, <laughs> thank you for knowing about that. I love that uh, a little backstory on what Mike's referring to the headband. If you've watched my videos, uh, one, thank you for watching my videos. And, uh, if you, if you haven't watched my videos, then just know I'm incredibly offended. And how could you do this to me? <laughs> but the headband I wear in some of my videos, lots of them actually, uh, it used to be the scarf of my ex-girlfriend. And when we broke up, I got the headband and she got my pride and conveniently the headband's worth more. <laughs> uh, but for sure. And I love, I love your points. I really do. <laughs> Thank you, brother. You know, it's, it's apparent to me, it's obvious through your videos and, and through your writings and, uh, and other things, both, both your parody videos and your serious videos, that mentorship is something that's been important to you. Uh, in your life. So can you tell us a story about a mentor who's impacted you and shaped your outlook? Absolutely. The first one, John McMullen. Uh, He's an angel inside of a human body. I've been very, very connected with him, learning from him and just a great brotherly friendship with him uh, for the uh, past 13 years. And really I mean, how I've worked with clients, how I see the world, uh, how I understand myself is uh, heavily influenced by my experience of his teachings. Hopefully not brainwashing because I want to take my version and my understanding of what he says and leave what doesn't resonate with me with him. Um, So I've absorbed so much from this very, very wise man who's walking the earth. And I'll never forget when the impact started. It was just like being clubbed on the side of the head. It was horrible, scary, and probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. It was December 3rd, 2003. I was there taking my first, it was a three-day weekend workshop with John. And I rocked up to the workshop, just so arrogant. Like I'm, I'm here to uh, learn more about how I can help other people heal emotionally having no idea how much emotional healing work and growth I needed inside. So, you know, I walk up all arrogant and like, I haven't cried for six years. And that means I'm like emotionally stable. It's like, now I look at that, like, holy cow, that is a complete sign of instability. So John is very intuitive and he, he reads people, not their stories. So he completely pierced through my story of I'm all put together and he just saw things, uh, unresolved wounds that you know, he, he helped me bring up just through very, very piercing questions. So that afternoon, December 3rd, uh, 2003, I'm bawling my eyes out. I was like, wow, that was me bawling my eyes out uncontrollably was very unsettling to me. Like I feel, felt like I completely lost control, and luckily I did lose control. Uh, I, I, how I was creating control was 
being very rigidly attached to the dogma of who I thought I was supposed to be, strong, stable, uh, because honestly, I wasn't strong enough to embrace my weaknesses. I didn't have the courage to be vulnerable. So John really, really cracked the shell I had around my heart. You know, that night, uh, I'll, I'll always remember I was on the hotel room, called my sister up because some of it was like issues with her from when we were like seven. And when I was seven and our parents were going through separations, oh, now we're not, now we're getting divorced. Very, very confusing, unstable time that I didn't know how to process. When I was seven, like all I knew to do was go numb, disconnect and think everything's cool and try to be the stable one for a family going through an unstable time. So it took me a couple decades to begin processing what I didn't know how to process when I was seven. So that made a huge impact. It's like the club that was knocking me on the side of the head was my heart. It's like, wow, thank God I'm actually connected to my heart now because I was very, very shut down in my heart and living just in my head before December 3rd, 2003. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm like all perfect and Mother Teresa. And uh, I still have tons and tons and tons of mileage to go. Yeah. She's a saint now. So, you know, you can, uh, you know, you, you've still got some, some, some ground to make up there. You could, you could be the, the uh, Mother J.P. Sears, you know, but then, then you can at some point maybe be Saint J.P. Sears. Yeah, I like that. And I like the the (laughs) embracing of the gender fluidity like that. Like, yeah, I want to be my version of Mother Teresa and don't let my gender limit me. Like, I'm going to be Saint (laughs) Mother J.P. Sears. I like that. And I'll tell everybody, Mike Flynn told me to. It was his advice. Changed my life. (laughs) Would you mind telling us what happened when you were seven? Hmm. Yeah, of course. So my family, like, we had sort of like this unspoken mantra, like a lot of families do through like the code of the family secrecy, which is act like everything's okay. That's important. We don't want anybody to know what's happening under the surface. And also, we don't even really want to know what's happening under the surface. So all the emotional pain challenges, secrets, we all know to act like nobody knows. We don't talk about it. So the the you know, the big thing was my parents were going through a divorce. They ended up not getting a divorce, but they did kind of like a yo-yo thing for maybe the next five years. So dad moves out. Uh, he's, uh, we're told he's sleeping at his office and, and my mom's in bed with a lot of anxiety, crying most of the day. And it's like, looking back as as an adult, it's like, Oh, I get that. But as a child, Uh, What that kind of meant to me inside is uh, I have to take care of mom because like she, she doesn't feel stable, like energetically, emotionally. And honestly, she wasn't like, and that's healthy. Like if someone's going through what they think is a divorce, like you're allowed to fall apart. But as a child, I didn't know that. So I, I, I took on Mission Impossible, which is I need to take care of mom. I need to make her feel happy and strong again. And I couldn't do it. I mean, it, it's kind of like just re-encountering waves of shame of not being enough to take care of mom. Try again, not being enough to take care of mom. And then at least from my perceptual point of view that I've been able to recover through some of my self-work, 
my sister, who's a year and a half older, uh, would look to me to be the surrogate father because, you know, dad's just not around. Uh, he's moved out and didn't see him very much. Didn't actually see him very much when he lived with us. He was just working all the time. And, and so as my father, as my sister looked to me to get her essentially little girl needs met as me as her father figure, I didn't like that. So I would be very mean to my sister because I didn't know how to say uh, it doesn't feel good to be in the position of a father because I don't like to feel like I'm not enough to give you what you need. So I, you know, I tried to do it with my mom, but it's like, uh, I, it just didn't feel right with my sisters. So acting out a lot of anger towards her was something that I did. And, and really went on that afternoon with John McMullen when I, I think I was 23 maybe 22, probably 22, doesn't even matter. But it, like, in a way, it felt like my heart broke that afternoon. But I think I realized just the broken heart that happened a long time ago, because it was very, very sad to think, like, from my sister's perspective, like, here's this lonely little girl. She needs a father, just like I needed a father, but I think she's just more sensitive and in touch with her emotions and needs than I was. And so this lonely little girl who's going through a bit of metaphoric orphaning, uh, sort of literally as well, wanted connection with me. She wanted connection with who she wanted me to be. And so she was hurt. And then I hurt this hurt person. So it it felt good actually to feel my broken heart. So I could actually, you know, kind of have a bowel movement of my sadness. So it didn't just have to stay inside of me forever. Yeah. And the the thing I like least about having a bowel movement of my sadness is that means I feel it instead of just being numb to it and constipated with it. Yeah. Well, you know, that is an, (laughs) An interesting analogy, you know, bowel movement is sadness. But like, if you think about it, I have a friend that that's a, a chiropractor and and um, into into overall total body wellness. And and he he and his wife just posted a very funny video about um, poop. And, <laughs> I like it already. <laughs> and um, the company is called uh, Inside Out Health, and it's located in Santa Cruz, California. Little plug for them. And, uh, they're just starting up and they're a great couple. I encourage you to check it out. Cause I, you know, they, they actually, his wife actually asked me to ask you a question, which I will in, in a little bit, uh, but they're doing videos to kind of help grow their business. And, and one of the very informal informational videos they did was on poop and it was really hilarious. And I think that also, um, you should make that a shirt, like have a bowel movement of sadness. Because, I because uh, sa- sadness. I mean, like if you just let it sit in there, kind of like if you just let your poop sit inside of you, it's you're going to go septic. You're going to go. You're going to be unhealthy, unhappy, uncomfortable. And uh, you know, as you were talking about your, you know, feeling your your heart and um, sharing your story, it reminded me of a of a quote that a previous guest on my show and one of my good friends, a guy named Greg Amundsen, shared that his dad actually shared with him. His dad was a chiropractor also. And he said, you've got to be a little bit cracked to let the light in. Ooh, I love that. Isn't that powerful? 
Yeah. And I, what that means to me, and I think why I really love that is that's like a token of permission. It's okay for you to be cracked. It's okay for you to be flawed. It's okay for you to be hurt. And not only is it okay, it's helpful. Yeah. It's what the lets the light in. Yeah. I am. I, I, love, I love that quote. I, I'm, I love it too. Um, I love it more than you do, just so you know. <laughs> well, I don't I, I'm kind of in an unconditional loving spectrum with it, Mike. And I'm, I, I don't know. Are you there? Or I'm do you there, still I'm need there, to I'm evolve? There. It's, it's, it, we can, we can love it equally. You know, uh, this is a great conversation. I'm having so much fun um, because not only are we having fun, but we're also having an impact in the stories that we're sharing. I'd love to learn a little bit about why you are an, you're an entrepreneur. Your videos have been viewed over a hundred million times at this point. You've, you speak to huge crowds. You've been on you know a thousand podcasts. What was the impact moment that sent you on this trajectory? And, and you, you kind of alluded to it maybe a little bit in sharing your, your mentor story, but maybe what was the next step after that that launched you on this path? Well, you know, the, the next step might have actually come before the first step. So maybe it's like step number 0.5. Back, back um, step. Yeah, it's it's sacred geometry. It makes sense if you <laughs> don't think about it too much. But so the the impact moment with a mentor, I think I was 22, but this impact moment that was sort of like sent me on the entrepreneur trajectory would have been when I was 18. So out of high school, didn't have a clue what I wanted to do in life. And my parents said, "Well, that's okay. Uh why don't you go to college?" And by why don't you go to college? It was more like you're going to college. And it's like, uh, okay, they're telling me to, but it also makes sense. Uh, like, what else am I going to do? And so I was just taking the, the general classes that the colleges make you take to just soak up more of your money. No judgment there, just an observation. <laughs> <laughs> and man, I, it scared me at the time how unengaged I was with the classes. Like I was literally failing probably at least 75% of them, and not going to most of the classes. And, and that frightened me because it wasn't like, I, like I'm out, whatever, in the gutter playing blackjack with the drug dealers or anything. It's you only just, did that I, on the weekends. Yeah, for sure. And I actually feel like that was constructive to my growth. <laughs> really good at counting cards. <laughs> and so... It frightened me. Like, I can't get myself to engage with classes. And I knew, like, I'm not going to make it through college. And in fact, I didn't even make it through my first year of college. I dropped out maybe a third or two thirds of the way through the year. So, so I knew college isn't for me. I didn't know what was for me, but that was definitely a turning point where I began to realize I have the ability to have an inability to engage with things that I'm not passionate about. Hmm. And, and I think passion is really the lifeblood of an entrepreneur. Uh, if we're not passionate about what we're doing, we're not on a sustainable track. We could do it for a few months, maybe even a few years, but we won't have the sustainability. Uh, you know, if, if we're not passion, passionate about what we're doing, we can fit well in sort of the corporate setting because there's a herd do, creating a lot of the momentum that we kind of just 
become a bird, jump on the back of a rhino and like we ride along and do our thing. But yeah, as an entrepreneur, I mean, we have so much self-responsibility that if we're not passionate and uh, I think we're pretty well screwed. So that turning point when I just knew college isn't going to work for me, I'm not going to college anymore. I knew I had to find something that I was passionate about. Didn't know what the heck that was going to be, but I just knew it. And also it, that, that was the last time I ever worked for anybody else. I was working in the front counter at the local gym. So since I was 18 or maybe 19, I, uh, haven't worked for anybody else. And, and just, I think it's because once I found my passion for helping people help themselves, I just felt like anytime I would even think about being under someone else's umbrella, it felt like they're interfering with my passion. And it's like, I'm so passionate about my passion. Like I won't stand for interference. I mean, I'm all about collaborations and exponentializing, if that's even a word, like human efforts, but to be under the control of someone else, to me, like how it feels is if, if you have an artist, like say uh, Picasso, I only like, you know, two artists, Picasso and Van Gogh and Van Gogh cut a zero. So I don't want to analogize myself with him. <laughs> Like if Picasso's doing his painting and you got brush in hand and someone were to come up to him and start painting on his painting, like that's not going to work. Like this is the guy's masterpiece. So that's how I feel when it comes to you being, being a non-entrepreneur. It's like someone else is painting on my painting and that just doesn't feel good. Yeah, yeah. It's like you do your thing. It's great. But don't do your thing in my territory because like it's my creative masterpiece. So along the, and I'm kind of digressing on the question, but I think along the way I've learned that kind of my entrepreneurship is part of my art. And I think that's how I stay passionate about it. It's part of the canvas that I paint on. You know, it's all about, it ends up being about being not wanting to be insincere. And, you know, I want to talk about the word passion because I am, I am passionate about raising awareness about what that word actually means. Mm. And, and I, want, I want to come back to that, but I also want to talk to, to you about the word sincere for a minute because what you just talked about was wanting to be authentic. And, and you talked earlier about not trying to be somebody else, right? And you just talked about Van Gogh and Picasso. Well, the origin of the word sincerely is very interesting. And it, and it, it, it um, originates in the 1500s or whenever Leonardo da Vinci and all those people were alive. I think in the 1500s or the 1700s, somewhere around there. I'm not a historian, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but uh, as you said, age doesn't matter. They, were, they existed. And what happened is there were a bunch of ripoff artists. They were duplicating their, their sculptures in particular. And they were, they were doing a really, really good job of it, of, of duplicating their work. However, and they would sell it to these rich people, right? And what would happen is their work would end up developing cracks in it. And so these ripoff artists would have to fill the the wax uh, fill the cracks with wax hmm. and 
So what all of these real artists, the, the, the originals did, was they stamped their work with the words sine sera, which means without wax. And that's wow. the origin of the word sincerely. Without wax. And then the backstory of that is, that's so cool to yeah. know. And, and I learned that. There's a great book, which I think you'd love, um, called Aspire, Discovering Your Life's Purpose Through the Power of Words, mm. written, written by a guy named Kevin Hall, who is an amazing man. And, uh, and that, that book changed, changed my life, honestly. I, I, I hate it when people said that they, you know, something changed their life because that is such an ostentatious phrase. But this, this book really did change my life because our words matter and the words that we you know 90% of the time we're talking to ourselves and so the words that we speak to ourselves you know reverberate through our body and in our heart and our mind and have an impact and if you if you know the meaning of of a word if you know that the word courage means heart and that when you're encouraging somebody you're adding to their heart or discouraging somebody you're st- taking from their heart if you understand th- those words then they mean something to you when you're saying them and you're going to be mindful of of what words you allow yourself to speak. Yeah, well, I I love that. And I, just a, a small little piggyback, I do firmly believe there is immense power in our words. And when we're aware of the power of our words, just like you're talking about, like when we actually know the deeper meaning and almost like even the energy signature attached to our words, then the power of our language, I think, can be used much more constructively for ourselves rather than destructively. I think it, the language can be a powerful way of us finding ourselves. When I think anytime we say something and we're truly congruent with what we're saying because we're mindful with our words, I think it's always leading us to, to self. And when we're not mindful, that, then I think the power of our words becomes a propulsion force away from self where we can actually lose ourself the more we're saying because what we're saying isn't what's true in our heart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, another word that, that I learned about the meaning of in that book is actually the word passion. And the word passion, you know, we, we often, it gets tossed around, uh, you know, it, it gets tossed around in terms of, love i'm so passionate about my my wife or passionate about being an entrepreneur or launching this product but what it actually means is being willing to suffer is that right yes. i guess pa- passion of the christ that right. kind of makes that, sense that's the origin of that word and it and it means a willingness to suffer so when you're like doing something, if you're an entrepreneur and you're getting ready to, to launch something or you think you should go do something, we need to ask ourselves, am I willing to suffer for this? Yeah. You know? And I, and I think a, maybe a companion word with suffering, which it's a very different word, but I think it, it's got a bridge of connection is sacrifice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love connecting these dots with with the deeper meaning of the word passion, because, you know, I, and I'd love to hear your story about this, but I look at my life and, you know, I, I, I very rarely by rarely, I mean, basically never do I go out with friends in the sense of like, Oh, let's go get some drinks or what it's no, uh, that that's not really aligned with 
what what feels important to me. So like there's sacrifices I make and and there's there's playtime that I don't give myself. So there there's sacrifices that I think in a sense, you know, while they fulfill a part of me, there's another part of me that's making the sacrifice and missing out on what otherwise could be. Mm-hmm. And and I'd imagine we all need to be the judge and jury of what our balance is, of how much sacrifice can we make or should we make to fuel our, our purpose without depleting self. Because I, I think it can get overboard and we can become just the absolute martyr who, you know, we're fueled by our passion so much, uh, therefore we have so much suffering and sacrifice that we've eaten away every aspect of our life that isn't entrepreneurship. And I think that's, in, for a lot of people, that's, that means we're out of balance and we've lost ourselves. Yeah, I was just talking with somebody about this uh, the other day, and we were, we were talking about this very thing in relationship to fantasy football. <sighs> like, you know, we constantly get asked by our friends to play fantasy football. Yeah. But I'd rather play real football. I know that I'm not going to play real football because, uh, I, you know, I'm not, only like 3% of people that ever play college football get make it in the NFL. Yeah. I'm not going to spend time playing in a fantasy world when I can go out and have a real impact in my relationships with, with other people. Because it, every decision that we make, there's a cost attached to it, right? Like there's a sacrifice, as you just said. There is a cost. That's attached to it. And so you're making a decision to work on that video because you know it's going to impact 50,000 people. And the sacrifice that you're making and the cost is time with some other people that uh, at the bar, you know? Yeah. And, and there is a cost there, and you have to weigh that out. And there will be times where it's going to switch to the other way, and you're going to say, you know what? I really need to go hang out with my friends because I've missed out in the last whatever. And then, and so the cost is I'm not going to produce this video right now. It can wait. Yeah. You know, you have to weigh that. You have to be a self-aware enough and powerful enough to say yes or no to things. Yeah, absolutely. And I self-aware that I think that's where our real yes or no comes from. Uh, I come from the background of getting my emotional needs met as a people pleaser. So I would typically, you know, I've spent so much time saying yes to things that take me away from what feels like my purpose is I just sit there, you know, going out to whatever the event is. uh, And I sit there resenting the hell out of myself. Like I, I am here and I don't want to be here because I didn't have the self-awareness. Maybe I had the self-awareness, but I didn't have the courage to honor my no, my genuine no or my genuine yes. And, and that's, that's actually been a struggle, but a very rewarding one to, to grow into, to be able to say no. And really, at times, even when like I'll fully explain, like, oh, yeah, it's nothing personal. I've just got this video project I'm working on and our schedule is ridiculous. Some people will still take it personally. And, and I, I certainly don't want that, but reality is some people will, and I'll still have the courage to say no when it's genuine to me. Easier said than done, but the self-awareness to be able to do that and honor it is, 
uh, I think very nutritious for yes. us. Yeah, absolutely. And I would definitely love a part two. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's plan on a, a part two because we won't get through all the questions in the next ten minutes. Because 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 what happens is conversation happens, and then you know you kind of go down another. Th- you pull on that thread, and and then you play with it until that thread's done. Right, like a cat, you know. For sure, to me, it's just like surfing the waves that the ocean serves up, and to me, that's that's the beautiful part of at least how I'm experiencing our conversation. And and I think uh, if I could honor something about you for a second, what I think makes you a great interviewer is you're not interviewing me; you're having a conversation, and I love that. Uh, I appreciate I think that. that Thank you. That makes a great, great uh, experience and uh, end result. A podcast, the you know the ones where someone's just straight up doing an interview. It's like, wow, this feels very one dimensional. <laughs> like there's two freaking people here who have wisdom. <laughs> like let's let all that bounce off each other. Yeah. See, people are afraid though to 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 believe that they have wisdom. Mm. You know, because they look at you as a guru, right? They're looking at you like I don't have like JP Sears is JP Sears. Uh, I I'm, I don't have videos that have a hundred hundred million views. What wisdom can I share? I mean, that's honestly that's people are not uh, they they have been taught and and believed it's learned behavior that that, that they don't have wisdom to share, and or they're afraid that they will stammer through it because it's something that they're not trained to do and they're uncomfortable with it, which is okay. If you admit that, you know what, I'm going to stammer through this because I'm not comfortable yet. That's fine. That means that, that you, that's the next step toward perfecting that craft. Yeah. And, and that uh, authenticity and vulnerability is actually strength. I agree 100%. Just like the toddler who doesn't know how to walk, their willingness to stumble and stammer and fall and really not be perfect is exactly what allows them to learn to walk. But if a child had an unwillingness to stumble and stammer, they would never learn to walk. And I think that's nature's way. The, The inner nature in us is always driving us to grow, expand, and do no th- uh, do new things in nature's way. Is like it's not going to be perfect in the beginning, nor will it be perfect in the end. Ha ha! Jokes on us. Yeah. Uh, so I think we are minds that fear rejection. We fear how we're going to look to other people, uh, and we also fear our own self judgment. I think our minds try to resist this natural order of nature that just wants to germinate through us and take us into new things. Do you ever, uh, do you drink wine? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love wine. I, I'm a, my wife and I collect it and, and, um, and, and I love going and walking through vineyards and, uh, we live in Northern California and Santa Cruz and there's lots of wineries up here and there's lots of wineries up in Sonoma and Napa area. And I love looking at these vines because they're knotted, they're stretched out, they're exposed, they are to all of the elements, sun, rain, cold, they're, the ground that they're in is, is rocky and rough, and yet they produce this amazing fruit. Oh, I love that. And it's the same thing, and, and they allow themselves to be. They don't. 
they 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 don't obviously they're not you know satian beings but like you know they 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 allow themselves to because that's what they are meant to be right and so if if we allow ourselves to encounter the adversity that we that we will inevitably face in life and the elements and allow that to marinate in us and shape us and produce fruit from us amazing right i mean how powerful could that be for sure and to me the the key word I, that i heard you say is allow yeah it, it's like you know if you imagine for a second that the grapevine had you know this egoic fear the fear of letting greatness out because it won't be perfect in the beginning or ever uh, the fear that it might mean we're not meeting other people's expectations we're being something other than what we think they want us to be so if the the grapevine had that and you know the the grape is just starting to bud could you imagine if the grapevine tried to restrict that yeah and 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 ultimately what's coming through the grapevine through the the sap and the you know the what's going to be manifest as the grape i think that force of nature is infinitely stronger than what resists that force of nature so after a while there's so much pressure building up against the resistance that that resistance starts to crack and it starts to strain and stress and there's so much pain involved and then we realize oh instead of resisting if i just allow this to come through it it doesn't hurt anymore it's actually graceful yes i lose what was familiar the vine says what was familiar for me is i was sitting here with no grapes <laughs> and then these beautiful grapes the this great fruit started to want to come through me it scared me because that's changed so i resisted it and then i suffered so much from the resistance that it taught me to eventually allow it yeah and boy was that a relief yeah because i mean there's a absolute natural order to things and it it, go, it goes all the way whether we're talking about the 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 vines or we're talking about driving and hitting an ice an ice patch what do you do do you tap on the brakes or do you just let it go you don't tap on the brakes cuz you're going to you're going to get you're going to get spun around lose all control yeah you, know, you you just have to let it go because if you if you add too much friction to that environment you're actually going to go and do more damage than than good you think you're pres- you're you're preserving yourself but you're actually hurting yourself and it's it's weird like it's so trippy how doing the exact thing that's in our best interest feels like it's against our interests. It feels so threatening. Right. And I, I think, you know, really our self-realization impulses, intuitions, and guidance are always, always, always in our best interest. But I think our self-preservation centers interpret those as threats against our life, physically, psychologically, or maybe both. So I think when we live in the the mindset of our self-preservation instincts will always fight our self-realization tendencies. But I think when we can be willing to be scared to death, we can actually live our life and be more self-realization focused. Yeah, I just interviewed Stephen Kotler recently. One of the things he said in our interview is that about uh, peak performance and elite athletes, and he said, top performers use fear as a compass. Mm. 
And so, you know, we're naturally designed to fight or flight, you know? Yeah. And, and that flight tendency is oftentimes stronger than the, the fight tendency, but people who excel at life and in sports, and they have developed that muscle to, to run into the fire yeah, and, and toward that fear that we otherwise would avoid. And I, I love that for sure. The, the move towards fear rather than away from fear, I think with logical discernment, we could be on the top of a 300 foot cliff and say, well, it would be scary to jump off. So I should move towards the fear. Well, we have a logical brain for a reason to help discern like, will that actually literally end my life? If so, <laughs> then yeah. that, that fear is a good limitation that actually enhances us. But 99% of the time, our life isn't actually at stake. And maybe about six months or so ago, I had a, it was a beautiful experience of going to a Tony Robbins event and he had everybody do a fire walk. He didn't have, everybody could choose to do it or not. And I did it and it was a beautiful metaphoric experience because like it is really scary and it's not comfortable. So it's like, there's a lot of fear, but that's very deliberate training to, oh, you're afraid and walk anyway. And I've done, uh, last year I was in Kauai and there's like a 50 foot cliff, jump off into the ocean, like really intimidating. And I'm naturally sort of afraid of heights, not phobic, but it's so scary. But to be able to sit there, be very afraid of something, and then we train our mind to do that something. I think that's really strengthening the muscle of our uh, spirit in our heart, not be not being a slave where we're just abiding the master of our self-preservation that says uh, growth is scary. Keeping things familiar the same is comfortable. So we violate that. There's another great book called Mindset uh, that was written by Carol DeWick. She's a professor over at Stanford. And she talks about fixed mindset versus growth mindset, which is exactly what you were just alluding to. This is a really powerful conversation. And I look forward to picking it up in part two, because I I do know that you've got to run here. So I want to be really respectful of that. JP, this has been a blast so far. I look forward to picking it up again. Me too, brother. Thank you for having me on. And this has just been a virtual high five. For sure, man. (laughs) Such a pleasure today. And I'll look forward to us connecting again super soon. Don't forget about the awesome gifts I have for you, the Clarity of Purpose Scorecard and the Six Bridges to Personal Growth and Well-Being. Head over to theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash scorecard and download those tools today and begin using them. Now, JP, thank you for being who you are and for using your gifts and talents to make us laugh and to also make us think. You are an incredibly talented individual who is inspiring the masses to believe in their potential. And we thank you. And I can't wait to share part two of our conversation next week. If you missed any of the key points, we've got you covered. Go to theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash 54 for all the key points and highlights of the conversation that JP and I had in part one. And while you are there, be sure to check out the Lawton Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters could not do this show without them. Until next time, go make an impact.